0: If you have your Bibles, so you can turn with me. We'll be going through Exodus. We continue this amazing story that I think is deeper than we know. You know, I was praying earlier. I prayed for the service as in my own prayer time. Praying, I said, "Oh Lord, I need you." I said, like a drowning man needs water. I need you. Then I stopped. Wait a minute. <laughs> I started to say, Lord, I didn't really mean that. I need you like a drowning man needs oxygen or something. But I r- realized that, you know, in some sense, that's our passage this morning. It's like, I think I've had enough from God. I understand the, the image and the wonder of what he's doing and freeing his people in Exodus. And way back, I mean, we're talking about a time that's the span of uh, how long America has been around. Multiply it by five that's how much time was between the Exodus and Jesus, but pointing forward to this amazing lamb that would be sacrificed and by his blood were saved, and, and, and all of these things. And yet, and yet, in our account, even today, there is such a depth and a deeper depth and a deeper depth and a deep of what God in Christ has done for you. And I want to show you, because I want to invite you to worship, I want you to walk away today like, wow, we are just so amazingly loved by the king, and and, and we're his. And it's somewhat in what we get to talk about. I mean, I try and think up things, you know, like, oh, it's like you win the lottery. No, it's not. It's way more than that. A lottery is just a random blessing, even if you pick the numbers, (laughs) This is like you're the, the worst criminal ever and you're somehow just adored and loved and brought into God's family. And he, he, wow. I don't know, that doesn't do it either. It's just remarkable to see what's happening today, a God who sacrifices for the least and the little, who loves the late born, not the firstborn, who's, who's just the most amazing God you've ever seen. We started last week, really, and we, we've been talking about Exodus. We're, 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 today, get to cover is They actually leave Egypt. It's really great. But out of Egypt, this is called. And you've got to imagine that's supposed to be a pillar of cloud, but I don't know. It should be bigger. Everything bigger because it's just huge. Uh, but we left last time, and, and we got to just touch it again because the text keeps going and going and going on the Passover. This Passover, this amazing event that, that was deliverance for the people. So pick up with me, we're in chapter 12. We'll begin at verse 40, and, and here we go. It says, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by Yahweh to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is the night of watching kept to Yahweh by all the people of Israel throughout all their generations. So I want you to think about this. 430 years in Egypt. This is from when God's plan was. And so he was watching this night. I've been waiting for this night to take my people out. But you think back 430 years to when they got there. Remember, it was God's plan to bring them to Egypt to save them. Remember the story? Remember how, how he did it? He did it by, by the brothers of Joseph, how they sold him into slavery. So they took the, one of the youngest, their youngest brother at the time, and they had one younger, but, but, but they took him and they sold him away. And then God used that to bring him, and he was unjustly accused and thrown in prison. And this amazing story by which eventually God brought the whole family, the family of Israel, Jacob, Right, it, it involved deception and trickery, and at the end, God's favor, the whole family safely in Egypt. They've got food and a place. God's plan at work. God's plan that the people go from a place of exaltation because Joseph was loved to a place of slavery over 400 years. He wants to show this incredible rescue. Remember? Don't forget with me. He's selecting Moses, the murderer who ran away into the desert to live like like he wasn't even part of the people of Israel. He didn't even circumcise his own kid. He married someone out of the tribe and he's just living out there. And God doesn't let him go. God comes and gets him. That's God's plan. Go back to Egypt. So there's Moses and Aaron who did these signs and wonders to Pharaoh. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why did he harden Pharaoh's heart? Because Pharaoh's a really bad man. No, no. No, because he wanted to show his incredible power over all the gods of Egypt and how he was going to rescue his people by the blood of the lamb. That's the Passover, right? The power of this God who's named Yahweh, he smashes all these Egyptian gods, finally destroying even Pharaoh himself because Pharaoh was a descendant, they thought, right, of the sun god. So you got that ninth play where everything turns what? Dark. Fie on you, Pharaoh. Right? And that's just building to the real image of deliverance, the Passover. It's forever. It's your deliverance, this special. You've got to restart the calendar. And every time, the first month of the year, they're going to do this imagery to remember God and how he delivered him. That's, that's the piece, right? Because Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover, No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it, but it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Man, my mind goes to the cross. The lamb who was slain. Don't break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to Yahweh, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. It's like this is it. You've got to be part of the team to partake of this amazing picture of God's rescue. And that was the mark that they were of Abraham to be circumcised. This is before they had the Ten Commandments. This is all just, hey, this is the main deal, right? And all the people did as, as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron. And that very day Yahweh brought the people out of Israel. Uh, uh, sorry, the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. By their hosts. By their hosts just means all gathered together. 600,000 men, it says, which is like, what, 2 million people. That's a, that's a parade. It's so sweet, because God rescued them. He did it all. They're sitting, eating roast lamb and painting a little blood on their doorposts and asking the Egyptians for gold and silver, and they're throwing it at them. Because God has done this. God's Passover, the rescue of his people. And when death struck, and out of death, freedom for God's people. If you stopped right there, you'd be totally fine. It's amazing. I just walk around going, wow, the Passover, the 1,500 years before Jesus ever came and just screams Jesus' name. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's not the depth of what's going on. There's more. Wait, you've drowned me already, God. Nope, here's some more water. It's always deeper. It's always more. It's incredible beyond your understanding and my understanding what God has done in Christ. It's, he reveals it in Christ, but he's a hidden God. He's doing these amazing deep things you can't even hardly grasp, and they're deep, and he's our God. I'm unapologetic about it here. We're looking at these through the lens of knowing Jesus has come, of knowing these are issues that point to him like the Passover, which Jesus ate before he went to the cross, where he repurposed the bread and wine to be the image of all we receive. He's the lamb who was slain, and he's not only the lamb who was slain. He's not only that. He's also the firstborn. Huh? Huh? And this is another simply amazing image for you to digest and worship and be struck by. This morning, I want to talk to you about the firstborn a little bit more. God's firstborn. Okay, because that's, that's this chapter 13. Because Yahweh said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn." Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Um, Okay. What does that mean? What's going on? So, so I don't understand this initially. I think consecrate, you know, that means make holy. It means set apart. I, I get that. Uh, all the firstborn. So it means all the people and all the animals who didn't die when the angel of death came over, but they were rescued by the blood of the lamb. That, that, that Those people set apart. They're going to be special. Why are they special? Because they would have died. Dare I say they deserve to die. They weren't better than the ones who did die. They were just claimed by or delivered by or passed over from death by God himself. So God says they're mine and don't you forget it forever. And and you didn't do this. That's the emphasis of all this remembrance, right? It's tied up with me into this whole thing where I'm delivering you the unleavened bread that you're taking from Egypt and running away. Because then Moses says to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand, Yahweh brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the, all the the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall keep this service in this month. You're going to keep doing it. Even when I bless you, so much it's overflowing. This is the important thing to remember. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the seventh day there shall be a feast to Yahweh. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen within all your territory. It's not about sin. It's about speed and rescue and God delivering them. And he delivered them from slavery. Remember it. And we we, we, we haven't forgotten you shall tell your son on that day it is because of what yahweh did for me when i came out of egypt and and it shall be to you a sign on your hand and memorial between your eyes that the law of yahweh may be in your mouth for with a strong hand yahweh's brought you out of egypt you shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year we haven't forgotten the setting apart bit you know though I, I, I get all this. I, I get you. Know, and if you're with me, you're like, okay. So he said, okay, set apart the firstborn, and and make sure this statute of of, of remembering that God's delivered you. It's tied to the firstborn, you know. And and, and remember all that. But he hasn't forgotten. Because <laughs> look what he says: When Yahweh brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall there it is set apart to Yahweh all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be Yahweh's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Okay, now I'm getting a little uncomfortable. Why? Wasn't the whole thing that you were, the people of Israel, redeemed with the lamb? And if you don't get redeemed by the lamb, that means kind of I'm a donkey? (laughs) You're going to break my neck? Okay, I'd like to have all the firstborn come up to the stage at this point. What? (laughs) We're going to redeem you with lambs or else we'll break your necks. What? (laughs) What? This is weird. What's going on? And this is something different. And this is something very interesting and different. I don't, what? You should get a little bit like this is, why? Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when the time to come to your, in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, Yahweh brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, Yahweh killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man, the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to Yahweh all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem Yeah, that's kind of interesting. It shall be as a mark on your hand, as frontless between your eyes, for by a strong hand, Yahweh brought us out of Egypt. This forever sign. I, and again, I just, I, a part of me doesn't understand a little bit because here's the thing, saying, okay, I get it. That generation was going to die if the Lord has passed over and they didn't have blood on their post, then the firstborn son, the firstborn even of the male Animals would die, but they didn't because of the lamb. So that son, reasonable, I think, said that's God's. That's God's kid. Because he would have died. But now the next generation comes. And the next generation comes. And the next generation comes. Why? I mean, he's no different than my second son. Why are, we, why are we doing this still? He's saying you're going to do it forever. And, and, and the idea is, is that it's the Lord. So in order for you to actually have that, that firstborn, you're going to redeem him, which was a price you would pay to, to sort of symbolize that that person was set apart to God but, and, and would have died in the, in the Exodus w- way back when, I guess. But, but now we're redeeming him to image, no, 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 we're, we're going to use him in our family. Okay, there's something here. You got to think through a little bit. It's not just oh, this superficial image of oh yeah, yeah. I mentioned that. No, there's 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 ongoing implications. The firstborn son wasn't just like a. It was a thing. I mean, they got double of the inheritance. It was the way their culture worked. It was the person that carried the line on. It was the person that actually uh, had the responsibility to step in for the father. uh, And that's how their society was structured, for for good or ill. There's not like a moral thing on whether, you know, men were in charge or not women. There's all these issues with, uh, with, with how life ran thousands of years ago. But the image is what you need to understand. That... Forever God wants to say that the, 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 your line going on is by my gracious hand of not killing your son. I mean, I think that's kind of the thought here. I get the image of God rescuing his undeserving people, of passing over them by a substitute. I get that life through death of someone else. And in their case, the substitution was a lamb, the blood of a lamb. We understand it pointing forward to Jesus. And then this consecration of the firstborn is a reminder of the once and for all substitutionary death of this beloved firstborn son who's to come. That's a lot of words to say they continue to point forward to Jesus. Like in Genesis 22, remember how we been back when God first chose Abraham and, and he took him and then he took his son Isaac and said, take him over and kill him. I want you to sacrifice him to me. I don't think God is playing, but he provided a lamb, right? It's Genesis 22. Go take your son and sacrifice him, and Abraham was saved by this Lamb. So, but this idea of the firstborn, I think it goes deeper. It goes it goes into Jesus. You say, sure, he was all those things. He was the Lamb who was slain, but he was also the firstborn who died. And here's the thing not just for Israel alone, for creation. I want to try and blow your mind a little. I, this is the Bible. But the, the Bible says, we read it this morning in Colossians 1, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Who's the firstborn? Christ is. Is he the firstborn of Israel? No, he's the firstborn of all creation. Right? That, that's, that's what it is. Like, so for example, in Hebrews 1, 6, it says, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. He was Mary's firstborn, but more importantly, our Savior is the firstborn of the world. He becomes the firstborn to Egypt, who is the world. Are you tracking with me? The world that has a hardened heart and a stubborn spirit, it's against God and a world to you and me. And then he dies. The firstborn son of God, because Jesus is the firstborn, the unique firstborn son of God. But he's the firstborn who was slain. He's the firstborn who's the destroyer actually touched and killed. He, he didn't have a substitute. He was the one actually who died. He takes on the sin of the world. He's the sacrifice for us. But, but, but that's true. But, but one more step is, is this idea is that if there's anyone who's imaging Jesus, it's the firstborn of Egypt. Why, because the firstborn of Egypt, the angel of death came over and the firstborn of Egypt did what? He died. So no one else in the other rest of the family didn't die. Whoa. And then there's another thing to get and I just, again, I'm not trying to confuse you. I wanna push you into this one more step because we become firstborn in him. It's remarkable and deep and mind-shattering, right? Romans 8 says this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So, well, he's the firstborn, we're the other brothers. Yeah, but we're united in him to the firstborn. The firstborn not just who died, but the firstborn of him who was raised from the dead. This is baptism, right? One of our deep sacraments. When we say this is, this is what we do, we, we go down and we're identified with his death, the death of who? The firstborn. So we rise up into life, the life of who? The firstborn. We become united to the firstborn. We who are of Egypt, not of Israel. God's doing something and he's doing something huge with this firstborn stuff. I can't overstate how important this is. What a theme this is. You're not a firstborn in this sense, but God makes you part of the firstborn who's raised from the dead because you've been made holy. You've been consecrated to God. And the wonder of what's happening is deeper. It has always been God makes, makes people who aren't anything. He makes them firstborns. Isn't amazing, why is it amazing? Because think about it with me about Israel. The image of Israel is fine, there's nothing wrong with that. Except this if you're not one of the firstborn, you're not consecrated to God. God said, I've got, I've got my people, it's the firstborn, it's the first everyone that opens the womb. That's my person. And so, what if you're the secondborn? Well, you can still worship God, you're just not set apart to Him. How about the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth? Well, then you just got a big family. You do realize when God says, wait, 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 wait. Jesus actually dies. I sacrifice my firstborn. And then death couldn't hold him. And I raise him from the dead. It's a whole way outside of the picture that God says, here's my firstborn. And I'm raising him from the dead. And then guess what? I'm sticking you, Egyptian, into it with him. Gentile Nobody. It's always been this way. We just don't see it. We refuse to see it. Why, why do I say that? Because, because the Bible always has God picking people who aren't the firstborn. You do realize Isaac, the, the, the Abraham's son, is not the firstborn son of Abraham. You do realize, right, that it just keeps on going. Jacob is not the firstborn son of Isaac. And yet God chooses him. You do realize that the salvation of Israel comes through Joseph. He's not the firstborn son of Jacob. It goes on and on and on. David is not the... You Guys, come on. David's amazing. Our middle school was learning about David this week, and I was just marveling because it's so cool. Because, listen, you you do realize that when Samuel, the man of God, came to Jesse, David's dad, and said, God is choosing a king from among your sons. You go get all your kids. So Jesse said, whoa, one of my kids. And he goes and gets all the kids, except he leaves one out. Why? Nobody would ever want that one. He's out still with the sheep, unwashed and dirty in the field. Surely you want one of my firstborn sons or my secondborn. Well, these guys are strapping young men. You don't want the nobody out there. No, that's, that's, uh, that's precisely who I want, says God. Dude, he is talking about you. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about how God takes the least and the little and the nobodies. And it's not just David, it, it, it's more, right? It's Gideon, it's Solomon. These people are not firstborns. I get in my head what I think God's doing, and he's not. He's doing something upside down. The death of Christ, the firstborn son, is what allows God's people, the lateborn son, to be raised to this primary status of the firstborn son. And it's right there in front of our face. The resurrection is what does it. The resurrection is we have become co-heirs with Christ, who's the firstborn. We become like Christ, firstborn kids. Redemption, redemption, right? It's about election. The election of the people who were not firstborn. But but that's the image, right? That's who I, I passed over and those firstborn weren't killed. So you keep those for me, says God, or you redeem them. And at the same time, by his firstborn, he's making an entire people. The Passover blessing of Israel extended to the world and those who are in Christ, the Passover lamb, have become God's children and not just his children, his firstborn united to Jesus. That's why you're called this, this is Hebrews 12, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's a description of you. You are nothing. I'm nothing either. You're little and least and lost in the wrong people in the wrong time in the wrong heart in the wrong everything. I am not firstborn. I'm not even of Israel. I am nobody yet. In the remarkable act of Jesus, I am made firstborn by union with him. I am made holy by him. I am set apart by him. Everything is done by him. And so remember, remember, remember in your baptism where you go into his death and the death of the firstborn where you're raised from the dead and you will be too. And I can't wait. It's so deep. It is so amazing and so wide and so our redemption. You have it. Why? Because of the death of the firstborn and God using that for you because when you step back now and see that Christ is the firstborn of creation and not just of Israel Israel points to him but I'm so glad because I was not of Israel I'm a Gentile and now I'm brought into the family of God wow And that means God is in charge of me. He's in charge of you too. He leads. And I want to finish with this today. He leads. Why? Because look what keeps happening here. So when Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God looks at them and says, they're going to run back to Egypt. I'm going to take him a different way. Dude, that'll preach. In just a minute it will. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, Look, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day as a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of night did not depart from before the people. I just want you to see. As God has done this and he's emphasized to them and he's rescued them by his strong hand alone and then he went away they didn't know he made sure they could see pillar of cloud right a pillar of fire not that he does that now like that but the idea is there right his character is there this is how God works he takes his people and he's told you you're his people and he says I'm going to get you where you're supposed to go well but I haven't seen a pillar of fire Yeah, get it. But it's not about will he give you a pillar of fire. It's about do you trust that he's going to do exactly with you what he wants to do. By a way you don't know. I'll tell you so many times in my life, I don't know about yours. I say, hey, here's the Lord and I am his and I'm in Christ and I believe this Jesus and he died for my sin and I've received it and I know it. But then I go, now what does the Lord want to do with me? And I can figure out, I can tell you 14 things I think God should do. Starts with a new car. No, it doesn't. (laughs) That's a joke. It actually has nothing to do with a new car. But I think I know exactly what the pieces that he's going to have me walk down. They're generally moral pathways. They're generally things that I'm going to become upstanding and better and nice and good. And they're things I've decided God's going to do. And then the Lord takes me another way and I end up somewhere over here. Did I miss the pillar of fire? No you're supposed to still be trusting who? God. He takes you where you're supposed to go. I mean, that's the message of this. Is God takes them away they didn't even know, but, but he made sure that they could get to where they're supposed to go. And, and by the end of this little passage, they're exactly where he wants them. Because what's gonna happen next time is this thing called the Red Sea, where the, where the, the, the water's gonna part. <laughs> There's a miracle that's gonna happen. The point is this. If you're his people, And that means you trust Jesus. You're also trusting he's going to get you exactly where he wants you to be. You get to be part of this. Ah, This is the idea of 1 Corinthians 6, and I'll end with this. He says, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. He said, you were bought with a price, what? The precious lamb of God and the firstborn who died that you might live. So be amazed. Be amazed. He's not saying, oh, so live a moral life. That's not the glorified God in your body. That's, you're living your life realizing God's in charge and he's got me and he's getting me wherever I'm going to go. I mean, he's, 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 he's pushing me and leading me. and It's going to be okay. Why? Because I know something. What do I know? He died for me. It's not just am I circumcised and am I an Israelite? It's I trust the firstborn who died that I might live. And I trust that God will, in in his death, he will kill me. Yeah, I do as a drowning man, need more water because too often it's me who wants to live. And I don't trust that Christ lives in me and my life will count and life is ahead of me and the resurrection is true and God has won the victory and I know, I know no, I will be with him forever. I need an Alleluia. Hallelujah. Okay. That's amazing, you guys. This is the Exodus. Would you bow with me? Let's pray.